Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity to spend time reflecting on us. May the Spirit speak to our spirits. May it testify to us that we are God's children, that you love us, that we have no reason to live in fear. And may you inspire us to new life. In Jesus' name, Amen. When I meet someone for the first time, I try not to allow the conversation to go straight to the subject of what do you do? British people being British people, I know we're going to get there soon enough. But in my experience, nothing reminds people of the need to socially distance themselves, at least from me, uh, like the discovery that they're talking to a Baptist minister. And I prefer to allow them to get to know me a little first. And the reaction when people do find out is often quite amusing. Some immediately tell me that they don't believe in organised religion. Actually, that's quite flattering. It's not often someone describes anything about me as organised. Others often fall into one, or two, one of two categories. They'll find some link between themselves and church, however tenuous. Like their aunt's second cousin's brother-in-law never misses church at Christmas in leap years. Or sometimes you can almost see them mentally replaying the entire conversation up to that point, trying to work out if they could possibly have said something which might have offended me. It seems I have one of those jobs that makes people feel guilty. Mind you, I'm not the only one. Have you ever been driving along when a police car takes over? And you just ease that foot off the accelerator and you start feeling guilty and replaying the last five miles of your journey, even if you've not done anything wrong? Or do you go through customs knowing full well that there's nothing in your baggage that you shouldn't have, but somehow you still couldn't feel more guilty if you had a, a kilo of cocaine stuffed in that lining of your suitcase? Well, some people are the same with God. Last week I began a series about identity. We're looking at how God views us, of what the Bible has to say about who we are. Last week we reflected on how Jesus came to the world so that we might become God's children, that we might know God as Father and know his intimate care. And this morning's reading touched on a similar theme. Paul writes about the Spirit testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. He also writes that God's Spirit within us means that we don't need to live as slaves to fear of God, but that we can know we're a child of God. The Spirit within us cries, Abba, which was a very intimate way of addressing God. The trouble is, it's easier to read than truly believe or accept, isn't it? It doesn't always feel like that. 
does it? We can read passages like this and come away thinking, well, that's all very well for someone like Paul. But it's just not how I feel. Well, if you ever find yourself thinking like that, you've probably got more in common with Paul and the people of first century Rome to whom he was, to whom he was writing than you realise. Paul knows all too well that whatever the Bible says about us and whoever God says we are, it doesn't always feel like it. It can be hard to really believe it. Paul has to remind these people that they have no reason to live in fear of God. He speaks of the Spirit having to testify into our hearts to remind us that we are God's children. He has to remind them because it would be very easy for them to forget. And the same is true for us. Lots of other voices can try to crowd out the Spirit. Others might be only too happy to point, up, point out where we mess up. Huh, you say you're a Christian, yet you do that. Or we might get frustrated with ourselves. Our own accusing voice can be one of the most powerful at drowning out the Spirit. And like the various encounters I started with, we might not want to risk getting too close to God. Because we fear accusation, we fear condemnation. And the difference is, before God, we can all find something of which we're guilty. And it can be a real spiritual struggle, just believing that God cares about you, has forgiven you, that he hasn't given up on you. Paul himself experienced this. In the verses immediately before where we picked up, Paul describes a struggle that we all face. You know, we want to do good, we want to do the right thing, and there's stuff that we really know we don't want to do. But Paul says it's not that simple. I know the right thing to do, and yet I don't do it. Whereas the wrong thing? Oh, I find that all too easy. And he comes to a very bleak, despairing conclusion. What a wretched man I am, he says. It would be great if coming to faith solved everything, wouldn't it? But you don't have to have been a Christian for very long before you discover it doesn't work like that. Some people, yeah, they just seem to breeze through life doing whatever they feel like without any real sense of right and wrong or any sense that they're accountable to anyone else with no sense of guilt. Well, actually, it's easy to judge. Perhaps they do feel all those things, but it just doesn't seem like it. Whereas there's a sense in which coming to faith and putting your trust in Jesus and trying with his help to live the kind of life God wants you to live brings it with its own struggles and tensions. Because doing the right thing is rarely easy. You try to live the way God wants you to. Often you just find it's not the most convenient thing to do. Paul speaks of being gripped by sin. And that's quite a powerful image. You only realise how gripped you are by something when you try to stop it. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure if you think back six weeks, you were totally unaware of how often you touched your own face. And then somebody told you to stop doing it. And now you realise you're always doing it. And it's really hard not to. Because someone telling you not to do something doesn't make it any easier to stop it, does it? And that's what Paul says about the law. When Paul talks about law, he's talking about how God tried to guide and direct us in how to live. What types of behaviour would help us to live good, healthy, holy lives. And what types of behaviour would be destructive and harmful to ourselves and others. But law is limited. It can point you in the right direction, but it can't make you follow it. In fact, if anything, it can just remind you of where you're getting it wrong. Churches are often accused of peddling guilt, not always unfairly. And I hope it's not something that I do or we do. But as we read and reflect on the scriptures, as we seek God's direction for our life, part of us will discover areas where we're not getting it right. And that isn't easy. We can live with a sense of guilt and condemnation because of stuff in our past about which we're really not proud. And it's very easy to be troubled by false guilt. Often those who try to live a life that pleases God can be very sensitive to what they get wrong. And they can be prone to feeling guilty, to feeling condemned. And there are times in my life when I've really struggled with that sense that God loved me, that he had forgiven me. So if we hear or read these words and struggle to truly believe them, take heart. They're written for you. That's what the whole passage is about. They've come out of a real personal struggle to live a godly life from one who's wrestled to get it right and kept getting it wrong. They're written for people for whom that is the same experience. They're written for people prone to feeling guilty, fearful, condemned, who really need to hear that spirit whispering within them that they are God's children, that God loves them intimately and wants them to know his care. They're written for people who find themselves sometimes wanting to give up on themselves. They're written for us. Paul doesn't leave them in despair. He doesn't finish chapter 7 with, what a wretched man I am. He goes on to say, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he adds, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, the word no is right at the start. It's placed there for emphasis. The central message of Romans 8 is that your standing with God isn't the product of how you feel. It's about how God sees you, how God feels about you. And yes, there are all sorts of things which would undermine your sense of being a child of God and held in his care, but they don't change anything. That's what you are. When you try to live life in relationship with God, there are going to be times when you're aware of coming up short. 
You might feel guilty. You might feel condemned. You might even really believe you deserve it. But there is no condemnation for those who put their trust in Christ Jesus. Because it's not rooted in how you feel. It's rooted in Jesus and what he has done for us. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, can be a touch confusing. Perhaps it's best explained by an example. When I was at school, a guy came to speak to us from the British Legion. And he spoke to us of those who fought in World War II and how, had it not been for them, we would have been speaking German. Now, knowing Britain's general aversion to and inability for foreign languages, I'm not that sure we would. But I got the point. Without them and what they did, we could have been living under German rule. And it wasn't something we had done, but something that someone else had done on our behalf that determined under whose rule we live. Well, Paul says much the same about Jesus. Our standing before God is not based on something we had done. In his life, death and resurrection, Jesus fought for us. And his victory secured in the resurrection means that if we put our trust in him, we live under the rule, not under the rule of sin and death, but under the rule of God and life. Paul doesn't claim that if we stick with Jesus, we'll avoid hardship. In verse 10, Paul speaks of our bodies being subject to death because of sin. And when Paul speaks of us being, or Paul speaks of being convinced that nothing can separate us from God. One of the things that makes Paul's argument really convincing is that he lived it. All those things he listed, all those lines of ducks from earlier, Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger. He faced them. And we still live in a world shaped by the consequences of sin and suffering from those consequences. And none of us totally escapes. But because of Jesus, they don't have the final word on us. In verse 17, Paul says, if we allow him to take us through the hardship and suffering, God can bring us through to the glory he has prepared for us. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to live a life of obedience to God will be at work in us in this life. And the same God who brought Jesus through death into the new life God had for him will do the same for us. Now that won't always feel true. Life chips away at that. It undermines our understanding of what God has planned for us and our faith in it. The predominant view that people have always held of God is that at best he wants to keep us in line, at worst he's out to get us. And we can have this idea that God is marking our cards, making a note of all that we've done wrong, and that one day he might just go, ah, oh, I give up. But he might not want to know. And Christians aren't immune to that. If you feel that way, take a look at verses 31 to 39. They're amongst the greatest words in the Bible. When Paul says, if God is for us, he's not suggesting that God might not be. 
He's taking the fact that, that God is for us as self-evident. He says, if you don't believe him, look at what he's done. Look at what God has invested in us. He has given his one and only son for us. Paul says, if he's invested that much in you, do you not think that God will do all he can to protect his investment? And when he says no one's going to bring, he says, who's going, he says, who's going to bring charges? The answer is not no one, because there will be times when our own conscience bothers us and says, call yourself a Christian. There'll be times when others will say, you Christians are, are all the same. You're all hypocrites. And one of Satan's favourite ploys is to hold our sins real or imaginary before us and say, remember this? I haven't forgotten that. Do you think God will? But it's not yours, mine's. Or anyone else's to judge or condemn us. It's God's. And God's not interested. So these are words for people who continually struggle and get it wrong. We can make the choice, yes, to cling to our sin. And God won't force his way into our life. But if we do want to welcome him into our lives, if we'll allow him to be at work within us, we need to get our sin into perspective. Now, I know we're all unique, but sometimes I reckon we think that God's never had to deal with someone like us before. Do we really think that nobody in all of history has been where we are? Do you really think that no one has ever done what you've done? Do you really reckon that God's thinking, hmm, don't know what to do with that? Do you really think Jesus sees your sin and then looks at the cross and thinks, ooh, I wish it covered that? No! If we put our trust in him and accept what he has done for us, whatever charges and condemnations others might try to bring against us, Jesus' answer is pretty much the same. If it helps, picture him pointing at the cross and saying, I dealt with that. That's finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have placed our trust in him, the spirit he has placed within us is whispering even, even now, reminding us that we need not fear. For God has made us his children. Nothing in death or life, angels or demons, present or future, no power, no height, no depth, nor anything in all creation can separate you from that love. So life will chip away at it. But who God says we are, who we truly are, is way more powerful. It's not rooted in what life has to throw at us or how we feel about it. It's rooted in Christ. And what he has done. Whatever we bring to him. Whatever is thrown at us. We face it. By his side. And he's the one. Pointing at the cross. And saying. I've dealt with that. It's finished. Grace and peace to you. Amen.